Good morning. It's great to be with you. I'd like to take you back to the year 430 BC. The people of Israel had returned to their homeland from their exile in Babylon. They had been in slavery for 70 years following the conquering of their land by King Nebuchadnezzar. In the land in Babylon, they had learned, they had seemingly learned the lesson that God would not tolerate idolatry. But now, now they were back in their homeland. Jerusalem has been rebuilt. It wasn't rebuilt to the city that it once was, but Jerusalem has been rebuilt. The temple had been restored, not to the grandeur of Solomon's temple, but they were able to offer sacrifices at the temple. They were able to worship God at the temple. There were no wars on the horizon There were no nations surrounding them ready to invade. Their crops were respectable. The troubles of the exile were seemingly behind them. It would appear that everything was good, but it wasn't. The condition of the hearts of the people of Israel was one of deep complacency and indifference. Sure, They were no longer worshiping idols any longer. They were offering sacrifices at the temple. They were continuing to perform their rituals. But they were not honoring God. They were not truly worshiping God. You see, it seems that they really did not learn the lessons that they were supposed to learn in the exile. The people of Israel were questioning God's love for them. They weren't worshiping them the way that they should have been worshiping him. They were not bound to his truth. They were faithless in their marriages and in their relationships. And they even were not giving God the offerings that he deserved. You see, they were just complacent and indifferent. They were just going through the motions they no longer recognized the greatness of God. Does this sound a bit familiar? This is exactly the condition that the Apostle Paul warns us about in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look what he writes beginning in verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people." having a form of godliness, but denying its power. This was the problem of the people of Israel. 
They had a form of godliness, but they denied its power. They were religious on the outside. They were spiritual on the outside. But on the inside, they were just complacent and indifferent. Because they had a form of godliness, but they denied its power. They did not recognize the greatness of God. And I'm afraid that all too often, this can be a description of us as well. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And as a result, we fail to recognize the greatness of God. And we end up being indifferent and complacent. But into this complacency and indifference steps the prophet Malachi with a word from the Lord. Today, we're beginning our study of the book of Malachi. And for today and for the next seven weeks, we are going to hear from God through the prophet Malachi of God's greatness and of his love for us which will draw us out of our complacency and out of our indifference and into a greater love and respect of God. So if you would, would you please take your Bibles and turn to Malachi chapter one. Malachi chapter one. Malachi is the last book. It's the last book in the Old Testament. It's right before the gospel of Matthew. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. If you found that, go back one book and you're going to find yourself in Malachi. Malachi 1, verse 1. This opening verse of this book is packed full of information that is going to give us a framework for our time together today, as well as a framework for the rest of our study in the book of Malachi. Look at verse 1. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Now, what I'd like to do to set up the framework is to look at each one of these phrases individually. The first phrase, a prophecy. In other translations, it says an oracle or a burden. And I like the word burden best because it refers to something that is difficult to bear. It's the idea of something that's heavy. The words of the book of Malachi are not light and easy. The words from the book of Malachi are heavy and they're substantial. As the prophet begins to speak, he recognizes that his words are not light and fluffy and they're not going to tickle the ears of the listener. He realizes that his words are difficult words and that they're even a bit troubling. And that's exactly what should happen to us when we come to the word of God, when we come to this message of Malachi, we should realize that it's weighty and substantial. The next phrase, the word of the Lord you see, these are not just Malachi's words. They're not just Malachi's ideas. These words are a revelation from God. They are the word of God. God has something that he wanted to communicate to his people 2,400 years ago. And he will use these very same words to communicate to us today. These are God's words. They were God's words then, and they are God's words to us today. Third phrase, it says to Israel. Yes, the word of the Lord is heavy, but notice here that it is not written against Israel, 
but to them. God wasn't out to destroy them. He was out to bring them back. God wanted them to love him as much as he loved them. And he wants you to love him as much as he loves you. God has something more for us. And then look at the final phrase in verse one. Through Malachi, God is choosing to bring his message through a man, through a prophet named Malachi. His name means my messenger. And God is using Malachi as the messenger. He was the messenger to God's people 2,400 years ago. And he's God's messenger to us today and for the next seven weeks that we're going to be in this book. And we don't know much more about him. We don't know much more about Malachi, but we do know that he was chosen for this very task. Now, as I said earlier, God's people were complacent and indifferent. They were also disappointed and discouraged. They had returned to their homeland. They had returned to the land that God had promised them, the land that they referred to as the promised land. They were there. They had rebuilt Jerusalem. They had restored the temple. But life was not as they had hoped. Life was not what they expected. And deep down inside, they blamed God. But Malachi's task was and is to proclaim the greatness and the love of God. And not only is Malachi's task to proclaim the greatness and the love of God, it's to call people back to a meaningful, vibrant, passionate, and purposeful relationship with the one true God. Their problem, like ours often is, was not ignorance. It was indifference. So this morning, we are now going to move ahead and we're going to focus on the next four verses. And these four verses complete the introduction of the book of Malachi. These four verses begin the dialogue between God and his people. They begin God's dialogue with you and with me as we study this book. And I love how God begins this dialogue. Look at how verse two begins. Instead of cracking on his people for their complacency and for their indifference, God declares his love for them. Look at verse two. I have loved you, says the Lord. He doesn't say, oh, you're just a bunch of whiny, lazy losers who never seem to get it right. No, he expresses his love for them. He begins with relationship. The word love here is in the perfect tense. What he's saying is he's, he says, I loved you in the past and I love you in the present. It is literally saying, I loved you then and I love you still. I love you now. And the word he chooses for love isn't a word that describes tough love or a covenant love. It's a word that speaks of relational love. God is saying to his people, he's saying, I have embraced you. I have shown you my affection. It's the word love that God uses for his people through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31 verse three, 
where God says this. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Here at the beginning of Malachi, at the beginning of our study of the book of Malachi, first thing out of the gate, God expresses his love for his people, his everlasting love, his unfailing kindness, his complete affection. But then look at the people's response. Second half of verse two. But you ask, how have you loved us? Now, don't miss this. This may be the central dialogue in all of history. God declaring his love to his people and every person in every generation responds by asking, how have you loved us? What's the evidence for your love? Why isn't it obvious to me? Now, in just a minute, we're going to look at God's specific answer to that question. But first, we need to see the main problem. All throughout history, beginning with Adam and Eve, to Abraham, to Moses, to King David, in and through the disciples, through God's very gift, sacrificial gift of his son, Jesus Christ, God has demonstrated his love over and over again, all throughout history to his people. And man has replied, how have you loved us? Why isn't it obvious? You see, the main problem is our expectations. We realize that God is God, that he is all powerful, that God can do whatever he wants to do. God can choose to do whatever he chooses to do. He's God. Now you combine that with his declaration that he loves us and our expectations rise. We think that if God is all powerful and he loves us, then why don't I get what I want? Why am I so lonely? Why do I hurt? Why am I sick? Why has my spouse died? Why am I single? Why am I not treated fairly for the, because of the color of my skin? Why am I so confused? You see, behind all these questions is the ultimate question. How have you loved me? See, that's the question the people of Israel ask God when he declares his love for them. And unfortunately, it's often the question that we ask God. Well, at this point, to be honest, right after this question, God had every right just to shut them down, give up on them and pronounce judgment. But he doesn't. Instead, he gives them a history lesson to demonstrate his love. Look at verses two through four. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob. But Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. Now, at first, this answer doesn't make much sense. 
Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. You're like, what? What does that mean? It doesn't sound like much of an answer. But as you may expect, it's actually brilliant. Let's look at God's history lesson. Please take your Bibles and turn back to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. Around 2100 BC, God chose a man named Abraham and said that he was going to bless Abraham and all of his descendants. That's recorded back in Genesis chapter 12. Now, Abraham lived a very interesting life and he had a son named Isaac. And as we read here in Genesis 25, beginning in verse 19, this is the account of the line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Isaac married a woman named Rebekah. And when she became pregnant, she realized that she was having twins. And even before these twins were born, they were fighting in their mother's womb. So Rebecca, she wants to know why the twins are fighting. So she goes to God and she asks God. Look at verse 23. This is God's response. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Before the twins were even born, God chose the younger over the older to promote his purposes. The younger was Jacob. The older was Esau. God chose Jacob over Esau. He could have chosen Esau over Jacob. Esau was older. And by custom, the blessing and the birthright were meant to be his. But God, God chose Jacob over Esau. And through Jacob, who was later renamed Israel, the nation of Israel came into being. And Jacob's 12 sons became the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Esau's offspring became the nation of Edom. Now, back to Malachi 1. Here back in Malachi 1, the people of Israel asked God, how have you loved us? And God's response, have you forgotten? I chose you. You are mine. Out of all the people of this world, I chose you. I could have chosen Esau, but I chose Jacob. Israel, I chose you. You are mine. But God actually says this very strongly. Look what he says. He says, I have loved Jacob and I have hated Esau. Now I need to comment on this statement because this statement doesn't often sit well with us. We think that it's harsh, overbearing, unfair, and unjust. But to understand this more clearly, we need to understand that the words used here and translated into love and hate are used in a different way than we typically use them. You see, hatred is not the acidic combination of bitterness, fear, and self-centeredness that we usually associate with hate. 
God does not hate people in the sense that he wishes them evil or wants harm to come to them. In fact, over and over again in scripture, we are told that God loves people and he desires that none should perish. Here, the words love and hate are used to distinguish a choice. So choice is part of the meaning for love and reject or not choose is at the heart of the word hate. Even Jesus used the word hate with this basic meaning when he instructed his disciples that they were to hate father and mother. What Jesus was saying was, you need to choose to follow me and that would mean a radical departure from family relationships. So God says, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. He's saying, I have chosen you. I love you. God is saying that their very existence as a people is a demonstration of his love for them. God has chosen the people of Israel to be his people. He gave them the scriptures. He gave them the temple. He gave them priests. He gave them prophets. He gave them the word of God. He gave them Jesus himself. And he loves them with an everlasting love that never dies. Then further, not only did he choose Jacob or Israel, but he also cared for the Israelites. The simple fact is that Israel was cared for throughout the ages. And here God gives us a contrast. He gives us a comparison. The Edomites were not. Look again at the plight of the Edomites. Verse three. I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land of people always under the wrath of the Lord. You see, Edom had a much different reality. Their destruction was partially due to God's failure to choose them as well as their own sin and wickedness. Esau and his people Edom chose over and over again to be evil and to be wicked and to continually rebel against God. But the people of Israel, they were chosen by God. And God chose, not only chose them, but cared for them as well to demonstrate his love for them. Their very existence was proof of God's love. Here at the beginning of the book of Malachi, the Israelites asked God, how have you loved us? God's response is, my love is found in the fact that I chose you and I care for you. I'm completely committed to you and to your well-being. And you know what? It's exactly the same for you and for me as followers of Jesus. Jesus says to you, he says, I am committed to you. I have chosen you. I have cared for you. 
my commitment to you is complete. I love you with an everlasting love. I wrap my arms around you with complete devotion and affection. I want relationship with you. If your expectation of God's love is wrapped up in him removing your trials, your difficulties, and your sufferings in the short run, you are going to be disappointed in God's love. And you are going to end up being complacent and indifferent. But what God is saying to you this morning is he loves you He has chosen you and he cares for you. And that is not something that will end. It is going to continue on and on and on. And his love is demonstrated in the eternal. God has given you a living hope in Jesus Christ. He has promised to care for you. He has promised to take care of you. He has promised to make you like Jesus He has promised you an inheritance that will never fade and will never be destroyed. And he has even promised to use the trials and the difficulties and the sufferings of your life to bring about good for you. He loves you. He has chosen you. And he cares for you. but let's not make this all about us. That was the problem that the Israelites faced. They made this all about themselves. They failed to recognize the greatness of God. And in failing to recognize the greatness of God, they failed to experience his love and they became complacent and indifferent. So Malachi instructs us in verse five, the last verse we're going to look at this morning. Look at what Malachi says of God, you will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. Great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. This is the main message of the book of Malachi. This is the message that God wants you to hear this morning. Great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. Great is the Lord in Israel, but great is the Lord everywhere else. The Lord is great. Yes, the Lord loved the people of Israel. He chose them. He cared for them. And yes, if you are a follower of Jesus, he has chosen you and he cares for you. But please do not miss this. This is, that's really nice. It's beautiful, but it doesn't mean very much unless God is great, unless he is majestic, unless he is sovereign, unless he is in control of all things, that love does not mean very much. But the truth this morning from the book of Malachi, from God's very words, is God is great. So that love that he has for you has incredible power and meaning. 
And what's really interesting about these first five verses in the book of Malachi is God uses them to share, to declare his love for his people using the example of Jacob and Esau. But God also uses the example of Jacob and Esau to demonstrate his greatness, to demonstrate his sovereignty. God chose Jacob and he did not choose Esau. God loved Jacob and God hated Esau. God chose Jacob and the people of Israel to be his people. And he loved that nation in a different way than he loved any other nation in a more special way. Now you and I may say, well, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem fair if we're not born Jewish. That doesn't seem fair to Arabs. It doesn't seem fair to the Chinese. It doesn't seem fair to Russians. It doesn't seem fair to Tanzanians. It doesn't seem fair to Mexicans. And it's certainly not fair to Dutch people. It doesn't seem fair. But here's the thing. God did not take a Gallup poll or survey to determine what we think about his plans. Why? Because he is God. Because he is great. Because he is sovereign. Because he is majestic. God didn't call me up and ask me what I thought the best plan may be. I may have had a different plan, but he didn't ask. And he didn't call you up either and ask you. Why? Because he is God and he is great. In my opinion, people that question the choices that God makes are actually challenging God's greatness. They're challenging the right of God to be God. By questioning God's choices, you are challenging God himself. And God says, I am great in Israel and I am going to be great beyond the borders of Israel. You see, God is the potter and we are the clay. And what right does the clay have to say to the potter? This is how I think it should go. We can try to make it sound easier by saying, I hate Esau is just God's failure to choose or it means he loved him less. It doesn't change the fact that God chose Jacob and God rejected Esau because he is God and he is great. And this is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 9 that God made this choice so that his purposes in election might stand. You see, God's purpose is always to bring glory to himself. It is always to proclaim his greatness. And all of his choices have that end goal in mind. His honor, his glory, and his worship. Why? Because God is God and God is great. And so for you and me, if you want to experience the love of God, the prerequisite, the first thing is that you and I need to submit to the greatness of God and recognize 
that he is God and he is great. And when you do, the love of God will flow over and over and over you. And you will not be complacent or indifferent because that love will spur you on to purpose and meaning and service for the one true great God. Now you may be sitting there thinking, you may be sitting there wondering, am I chosen? Is my sister chosen? Is my friend on the other side of town chosen? Is that person on the other side of the world chosen? I can help you with that. God says something very interesting and inviting. Jesus himself says this. Look at this from John chapter six, verse 37. These are Jesus's words. Look what he says. All those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Confess him as Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And you will also have been chosen. That's how it works. Go to Jesus. The book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi, proclaims the greatness of God and his love for his people. We are going to be in this book for the next seven weeks. And the messages that we are going to receive are weighty, and substantial. And they're often difficult to hear. They're challenges to you and to me to avoid complacency and indifference and passionately live our lives for God, primarily recognizing his greatness. It's my prayer as we move forward that we would be a people who open up our ears and our hearts to the word of the Lord. To not only hear it, but to do it. God is great, and he loves you. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.